Hi everyone, I'm Michelle Jobin and you are listening to Time to Talk, a podcast for caregivers. This podcast is dedicated to helping family caregivers in Ontario. Through expert tips and resources, you will gain knowledge and validation for the ups and downs that come with caregiving. More importantly, you'll learn that you're not alone. It's so important to take this time for yourself. We're glad you're here. Today, we have teamed up with productivity expert, Claire Kumar, to discuss how organizing our schedules, homes, and lives can decrease stress and increase calm. Claire is an entrepreneur, productivity coach, organization expert, and inventor. And she's been featured on countless morning and daytime shows, including The Social, to talk about organizing and its benefits. Claire inspires massive shifts by inviting attention to the little things that make a big difference. Claire, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited about this conversation. Me too. Thanks for having me, Michelle. Tell us a little bit, say you were at a dinner party. I mean, we've got a bit of context there from the introduction, but say you were at a dinner party and you were introducing yourself and they said, oh, what do you do? How would you describe it to people? Yeah, there were different uh, ways to describe it, whether I was in a corporate setting or at a bar or at a, at a party, like you said. I help people keep it together. Keep it together and feel a sense of calm and control rather than feeling overwhelmed. And that happens so easily to so many of us because we're not, we're talking about schedules. We're talking about sort of the digital clutter that's in our lives. And then there's also the physical things that can overwhelm us. So I'm so excited to dive into what you do and how it can help us, especially in the context of caregiving, because as we know, caregivers have a lot on their plates. Mm -hmm. Uh, It can be very rewarding, but I'm assuming that staying organized helps them stay productive and helps ease stress. Exactly that. And it helps you take care of yourself as well, which is a big part of the equation and something we'll talk about today for sure. Oh, absolutely. So let's, let's begin at the beginning and talk about the basics. You have an incredible four-step program plan. Let's go through that four-step program and how it can help people. Yeah, I, because over organizing can be so overwhelming, I thought we really need a simple way to think about it. And what's better than an acronym and an mm. acronym that actually is sort of meta. It's the plan and the acronym is plan. So yeah. I'll take you through the four steps. The first one, P, is for prioritize. Okay. And so prioritizing is about identifying what's important to you not only in what you want your space to feel like and what should be there, but also what should be in your calendar. What do we invest time for? Where do we allocate our resources? So if you think about what's important to you and get really clear on what that is, then we're able to more easily say no to the things that try and invade our space and try and invade our schedules. And it, it just helps us to set boundaries, uh, which, which are, go a long way to preserving our ability to get what we want done. Okay. I like that. I, I, I've actually been in the practice of sort of making less space or zero space for things that I don't want to do in the last little while. And it's made a huge difference. Yeah. So I can see how prioritizing things can be very, very helpful. Um, and, and, and specific to caregivers, how do you feel that that would fit into their, their lives? Well, I think what I want people to do is listen as we continue to talk for things that you might that come up for you that are like, oh, you know, I'm doing that, but that isn't 
isn't giving me anything. It's done because of a sense of obligation. It's done maybe for the wrong reasons. And tune into the things that you think, oh, I actually want to make time for that. And a lot of uh, caregivers uh, and people I've supported in my practice over the years are not making enough time for themselves. So I really want to encourage tuning into when you get a feeling like you you're doing something and it's just not giving you returns, that's a sign that there's, there's a, you want to dig into that and maybe let it go. And, and to dig into the resistance of why you're not letting it go is, is the point. And and that takes us actually to the second step of the plan. L, L is for liberate. And we get a lot of words around letting go, um, purging, decluttering, I don't, I don't like them as much because they're, I mean, one purge is a scuba diving term, right? It's, it's like when you clear your mask, they're sometimes, sometimes a little disrespectful or violent. I want you to think of a sense of freeing. So liberating your space and your calendar to make room for the things that matter. And there's a whole positive sense around that then. So liberating though can be full of angst and challenge around letting go. So for example, if some of the things are there because they are shoulds, society or your mom or somebody else important told you, you need to do this. But maybe when you weigh it out, you don't. There could be some barriers you're experiencing to letting things go. And so dancing in the in the discomfort of what those is and finding paths to do it, that all of a sudden lets you make room for the things that are really, really important for you. That feels like a much more, um, I don't know if this is the right word, empathetic term than the idea of purging. Because I think it, it, it gives you that freedom to also choose what is and what isn't important to you. I, yeah, empathy, we have to dial it up now. The only extreme sport I tell people to play is extreme self-compassion. Like, That's great. Yeah, we really need to do that. And, and in a caregiving role and, and self-care is caregiving. So let's, let's put ourselves into the equation. Don't separate from it because whatever you're doing to look after someone else, you've got to be making sure you're taking care of yourself as well. Okay, okay great. Let's talk about letter A. Okay, A is for arrange. And so when I was going to people's homes and physically organizing things, a lot of times people would be like, I just want to go buy the baskets and bins and the pretty stuff and getting to arranging before you've done the other two parts, you might be spending a lot of time figuring out how the wrong things fit in. So we don't want to do that. We want to get to those priorities. We want to let go of the things that aren't. And then we want to think, how do we structure our time and space so that we have we have breath in our space and in our calendar to enjoy the things that we're choosing to undertake. So arranging is, it, it, you, you, there are some practical skills about space planning and time management that I spend time with clients figuring out. But once you understand those things, you can really sculpt beautiful environments and a beautiful feeling going through your day and through your week. Great, all right, final letter then. Along the lines of empathy, I wanted a very kind word for keeping the systems going. And so I chose nurture. Okay. Okay. Like that. So if your space is full and you're feeling like, oh gosh, I'm, 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 not, I'm not breathing as deeply as I want to in this space, your breath is a real cue that something's off, then you want to understand what you need to do to keep that system working for you. So if it's to do with things, maybe it's 
limiting the number of incoming items. Maybe it's making sure that, you know, if your closet is jammed and one thing goes out, if your calendar's feeling full, you stop taking on new commitments. Okay. I love all of those. And I think I love just how well you've broken that down. So people can sort of think about all of those things and how they work together. Uh, yeah. And together as well. So I like that a lot. Thank yeah. You. And it's, and, and again, it's step-by-step. Step. So if, if you're feeling a lack of breath, go backwards until oh. you go, oh, that's the problem. I actually ha- need to reprioritize and we need to do it almost daily. When something comes up, you need to go to your priorities almost daily. I love that. And I want to touch on something else that you advocate for, for your clients. And that is the focused five. What is that? Well, when we're thinking about our to-do list, if we have everything on a list and we try and work from that, it is very, very overwhelming. And we feel like we haven't accomplished something. So by focused five, I mean, choosing the immediate things that you want to get done in that day. And I recommend writing them on a small piece of paper, uh, getting a, a little bit away from technology and keeping that paper in front of you. And the wonderful thing is with five, you can tick them off and you feel like a rock star. If you get through the five, then you can go back to your to-do list and you can add again. And so I have a printable on my, on my website. I can give you a link for the show notes, but people can download this, print it, and then work from their own focus five. And it's just a nice way to bring focus to those priorities again, and then feel some momentum through your day as well. I think that's great because I used to, I mean, what I often do is I do this revolving to-do list that just sort of just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And I cross things off, which gives me a sense of accomplishment, but it just feels like it's never fully done. Yeah. So I like that taking it into sort of more of a bite-sized chunk for each day. Yeah. You get the double dopamine hit of crossing off the little item and then "Ah, my list is done. I'm a rock star, right? Like, so... And if we can feel more like that every single day, I think that is a great thing. All family caregivers face challenges, which is why the Ontario Caregiver Organization created the Peer Support Program. This program is a free resource where you can share your experiences with other caregivers to help build your confidence and make you feel more supported by those who understand what you're going through. Go to ontariocaregiver.ca to be matched with a peer mentor today. Remember, you're not alone. Now, back to our episode. Let's go on to the idea of the tasks that caregivers might have. And, you know, if we take a look at surveys from the last few years, for the most part, a large chunk of caregivers, over half in this country, are in that what we call the sandwich generation. Mm -hmm. So often they are people that have children that are taking care of parents or an older generation. So there's, there's a lot there for them going on. And a lot of the tasks that they have to do every day are things like emotional support and transportation, and then household tasks, scheduling. There's a lot on their plates. So Often in those cases as well, we find that to be a shared role where you have a situation where there's siblings perhaps that are taking care of a parent and tasks need to be divided up. Or sometimes it's a parent and a child taking care of a grandparent. So let's dig into this because I think this is an important thing. If caregiving is a shared role, 
what are some of the tips that you might have to stay organized while dividing up responsibilities? So we're going to go through a, a few different things. I think a big one here is administering medication, perhaps. It's huge. Just before we get that, I wanted to sort of lay down a, a really important concept that applies to whoever's involved in the caregiving okay. role. And like you said, it's up, down, and self-care as well, uh, like Absolutely. to put in there, right? And so one of the big things I want you to think about is respecting capabilities, capacity before taking on commitments. Okay. okay. So by capability, like if we look at children, for example, that might be helping us, they're continually building skills. And so their it's wonderful. Their cap mm -hmm. capabilities are continuing to grow. So what they can do to help you is growing all the time. And not only is it wonderful because they can, they can contribute more, they're building confidence and skills as they go. So it's, uh, I used to write a, quite a few articles for today's parent, and a lot of them were encouraging offloading mom and dad and, and upskilling the kids. Okay. And definitely that's important here. Understanding capacity is the other piece because no matter what we're going through, life happens and our ability to take things on and handle things depends on what kind of stress we're under. Mm. And so looking at somebody's capability and capacity, including your own, to figure out what am I up for and what's the best I can do. So I just wanted to lay that thought down. No, and I love that. And I love the idea. I think sometimes what happens is when you're in this sandwich generation that maybe you're taking care of an older family member or, uh, you know, just an, an elderly person, but then you have children as well, sometimes I think the instinct that people might have is to exclude the children from that process. But I do like the idea of sort of assessing the capability of the children and making them a part of the process to a certain ex ex degree, especially if it's a family thing. Well, absolutely. And, and I think it really models how we need to care for each other throughout our lives. Mm -hmm. And and I don't know yeah. if we see it as in, in North America as much as we do in other cultures. So I think it's a absolutely. really wonderful thing to, to integrate. And it's a, I talk about um, having a home team, hashtag home team. And mm -hmm. so I, I like people to think of their home as a team. We talk about teams at work all the time, but you've got a home team. And I remember, for example, with my kids when it was, you know, I was um, in making dinner and my husband at the time was studying. I was getting the kids involved. I remember buying plastic knives so that they could safely cut lettuce, for example, when they were really young. And so I set them up on the other side of the counter on stools with aprons. They each had a task to do. They felt, they felt great. And uh, it, it, now I have like champion guacamole makers in the house, you know? So it, it was a wonderful um, approach. And I think if you can build that expectation that you're a team and and sort of clarifying what your family objectives are and and caregiving is going to be part of those then you're going to talk and and even when you're getting together as a family i'm a big proponent of weekly or bi-weekly family meetings where you talk about the capability the capacity and the commitments and then make sure that you know everybody's on board and respectful of what's going on so as a team you can um, help it pull together I love this. I love that approach. So let's talk about some of these different uh, components. Okay. Absolutely. And I, I brought up before administering medication. Okay. So that is obviously a big one and yeah. it comes with quite a lot of responsibility. So how would you break that down? It does. I mean, you need to, again, understand 
knowing whether you you are able or the person that's caregiving is able to to understand the dosage perhaps split pills um and and um stay on top of making sure the medication is going to be available so who's in charge of each different task is really important to understand and especially with the administration tracking medication is really yes. important right so I, so I assume maybe coming up with a chart of some part just so you, of some type so that we know what's been administered at what time during each day and having things on there like allergies or sensitivities knowing what side effects should be anything related to the medication to make everyone involved feel prepared and on top of things is is going to be really helpful and this is also really helpful i think if you ever have any health professionals come into the home um personal support workers or nurses mm -hmm. or anyone yeah. else it's so great it makes their job so much easier if you have all this tracked and recorded and and all of those things so that is that is great advice transportation is also a big one and uh you know lots of things like medical appointments or you know any sort of appointment that we can get the people that we are giving care to to so how would you divide that up well i think you know understanding the the level of support that's required with respect to transportation is it you know getting someone to the door and they can get in on their own or is it finding suitable parking close by and figuring out how to navigate that uh is there someone you can hand off to um, at the location there's a lot of sort of detail and thinking through exactly what it's going to be like, and especially if, as situations change, um, buildings, you know, often some part access might be closed at a certain location and there's another one. So calling ahead and finding out what you're dealing with could be a really useful thing to do. Understanding parking restrictions, construction. I went down to my, I had an MRI recently at a local hospital and my regular parking spot didn't exist anymore because they're building a new condo building right there. So okay. I had to allow some time time to navigate the environment to be able to park comfortably. So a little planning and, and investigation and staying on top of things that you can, you know, assume that could provide stress in the moment could be really important. The other thing about medical visits I really want to encourage is thinking about the note taking during those appointments. Right. So depend on the cognitive capacity of the person receiving care, it may or may not be there. And sometimes it can be a little overwhelming if you are the deer in the headlights, if you will, and having a note taking uh, process. Uh, and even recording, I'm a big proponent, proponent of recording. Uh, um, only one person needs to give permission in Ontario to be able to record. I have been that deer in the headlights and then been somewhere later on trying to remember what was told to me. So this is a, a really uh, valuable piece of advice, I think. So go in prepared, go in with a, either a way to record or take notes. I think that's great. Grooming is something that we might not think about, but that's definitely a thing that would come up as a caregiver as well. Absolutely. And, and I think one of the most important things we can do is ask about preferences. Mm -hmm. So preferences for the individual and what they would value. And that, that could be grooming. It could be if you're going to help um, tidy the house or make the space comfortable. I remember after my son was born and I'd had a C-section, so it was post-surgery. And my mother-in-law came to visit, which was lovely. And I remember all I really wanted 
was that my windows were clean so I could look out my windows and not see dirt. And she was a lovely lady, but she believed in shears, so she never had to clean windows. So sort of getting clear on what's gonna be a real a value to the person you're caring for or the other people in the home that it, you know aren't getting to things. Understanding, again, priorities, I suppose, is, is really important when it comes down to choosing um, how you best support them. And I think just to back up, what is a through line with all of these things, if we're talking about dividing these tasks up, maybe between siblings or maybe between a parent and a child caring for a grandparent, really, you know, transportation, it depends on if everyone is able to drive or if everyone is safely able to navigate the transit system or is old enough to navigate the transit system or all of those things. So I guess what we do, would you kind of say to take a look at what everyone's skills and abilities are and then say, okay, well, if you're transportation, then my job is X, Y, Z sort of thing. If, if, if that's a good way to do it. You raise a good point. Again, it's, it's one of the things we haven't talked about capabilities and capacity, but what's the level of interest and desire, mm, right? That comes so, up a lot. Uh-huh. So I did this with my kids. First of all, I needed everybody to be learned on each task, right? So that you've got to back up whether you like it or not, whoever's capable can do it. Toilet cleaning, oven, oven, preparing the dinner, doing the dishes, whatever, it, doing the laundry, whatever it might be and understanding how it works. I think everybody who's capable should know how to do it. But then I think this is where the family discussion or home team discussion comes in is, is there something you love to do and that's what you want to contribute? And oh my gosh, you love to do the ironing. That's fantastic. I love dusting. Woof. Right. So we don't always have to just assume we have to do the things we don't like to do. Okay. Navigate that one. That's great. So the next couple of things I just wanted to mention were uh, also really important. You've touched on them a bit here, but scheduling and things like cooking and cleaning and how those tasks might be divided up. Did you want to touch about any on any of that when we're coming to dividing these things amongst a group of caregivers? For scheduling, yeah, I think with scheduling, it's attention spans and energy levels that can be really important, like knowing, knowing how long someone actually can pay attention. Mm-hmm. That, that's a really important one. And cooking and cleaning, obviously there's safety aspects involved in that. So I 100%. guess things that are age appropriate and also if someone's really not into cooking, that's, that's, you know, that's not going to be their thing, I suppose honoring authentic skills and trying to trying to where you can make a room for those if something needs to get done you need to figure out how to get it done but if there is a way to ever marry someone's joy with the way they can contribute that to me is my definite definition of success actually and when we're talking about things like taking care of a home for someone that is either um has mobility issues or is perhaps elderly we're looking at also as i mentioned there's a safety aspect in sort of cleaning and decluttering preventing things like falls which is a major thing so i guess that's something for people to look out for 100 percent that that is i think the first public talk i gave as an organizer many many years ago was to a group of seniors about preventing trips and falls and things like yes making sure you've got wide enough pathways so that you can flow through your space without 
being jostled and, and having to, to move around too many things, especially on the floor. I say no floorage, storage on the floor is not good <laughs> or, or floorganizing. If, if that's happening, it's, yeah. it's, it's something to look at. And then that's so a basic organizing principle is if you're looking around and you're seeing a place collect things and gather things, it's a symbol of a, that place is too convenient and you've just made a habit to dump things or probably more likely there isn't a specific home for a certain item and you have to go back to first of all prioritizing is it something you want and then figuring out how to arrange the space to accommodate it so that it's not in your way you definitely want to um, keep stairs in particular clear mm -hmm. because they're naturally not necessarily that wide anyway and you want to make sure the railing and the stair are really really safe places to, to go and then the other part is any floor covering that can come up and cause a tripping. So that's that's the floors, the floor area concern. And then for the person with the mobility challenge is to make sure you know they have good lace-up shoes on. So yes. the, the shoe is staying on the foot and it's not like, like I was wearing one day Birkenstocks with pantyhose okay. and I fell down a whole flight of stairs. Do you know you don't want that? I tell no. you you don't want that. That is yeah. not a thing. Okay. That is not a thing that you want at all. Okay. No. Well, that is great advice. Thank you. And I, I'm, as you're talking, I'm looking at the level of organizing that I can just see in my eyeline right now in my house. And it's definitely, I'm going to put this on my list of uh, focused five thing to do is to get rid of the organizing right now. Okay. This is all fantastic and very helpful. The Ontario Caregiver Organization has created a series of free webinars to help caregivers in their role. From financial planning for caregivers to mental health, these webinars provide support and resources to caregivers across the province on a wide range of topics. Our goal is to help ease the everyday stresses and challenges of being a caregiver. You're not alone. We're here for you. Register for an upcoming webinar today at ontariocaregiver.ca. I want to talk about stress reduction though, and mm -hmm. how the services that you talk about or the, the lifestyle changes that you talk about can specifically help caregivers. Claire, we do know that many caregivers live with some significant stress. And again, we have also talked about the fact that this is also an extremely rewarding thing that people yes. have in their lives, but about 31% uh, are not necessarily coping well emotionally um, with high levels of stress and negative emotions. So mm -hmm. what can we talk about in terms of the serious of this and what effects can it have on caregivers own personal health? Well, the effects of stress are um, challenging because especially if it's a chronic situation. So let me back up. A, a little bit of stress can be a good motivator, right? We get a deadline. We're like, oh my gosh, I have to get this done. And all of a sudden it brings our focus to mm -hmm. what we want to do. But too much stress or can be paralyzing in terms of ability to make decisions. We don't use our, our cognitive brain effectively and, and emotionally we react and we, and we become that deer in the headlights we were talking about mm -hmm. before. The other thing is if it's chronic, now we can see adrenal fatigue happen and then it, there's a potential to bring on a whole host of physical challenges and we don't wanna add another physical or emotional or mental challenge into the mix. So just the, the big takeaway there is we need to do whatever we can to minimize stress. I know personally that's been a journey I've been on for the last 
I don't know, seven years, uh, seven, eight years ago, I had an autoimmune issue show up. Diagnosis was about six years ago and it can be debilitating. And so one of the things I've done and with, this is why it becomes so much a key part of my productivity message is you can't show up and continue to give if you're not taking care of yourself. It's the whole oxygen mask on first. But I found that people, a lot of people have a real block to self-care and self-love because it's easier to think of yourself um, as, do, as, as being a hero if you're giving to other people. Well, I want you to be the hero in your own story and take care of yourself because thereby your ability to keep taking care of others is supported and you won't you won't run out of energy so um it yeah th there's a few things to think about number one you want to think about what you can do to minimize the stressors that are coming in and some we have control over some we don't mm -hmm. what you do have control over and how you think about it is how you think about your your stress is very much in your mind and uh so that's the the first place i would start is reframing reframing the stress as much as possible and then the other part of it is managing when when you know when feelings come up the last thing i want to encourage you is to dismiss it right we have to understand what we're feeling i went through somatic experience healing a few years ago and it was powerful because it was an encouragement to tune into the body soma is another word for body so mm -hmm. tuning into the body to understand where stress or anxiety or fear was showing up in the body and breathing with it noticing it and what was incredible was with no touch whatsoever the feeling would dissipate the pain would release the tension would go and so there's incredible power in tuning in and not fighting it but allowing it, and, and, and in some cases, it moves right out of your body. So coming up with practices that you can do in support of healing for yourself can be really useful. The biggest one of all is breath. Absolutely. And that's what, yeah, that's why I talked about in you know planning space and time, allowing for breath in both. Because it's funny, I just moved uh, over the summer from an 800 square foot condo to a 1200 square foot condo. And, and my bedroom was very small uh, beforehand. I couldn't actually get dressed in the bedroom. <laughs> so uh, I realized I was actually, when I came up to this new place, I was breathing a little more deeply. And I hadn't noticed that sense of breath was missing. I was, I was doing fine, but I I'm better in this space. So that's great. So you're, you're identifying what the stressors are mm -hmm. and reducing them. And then yes. finding that practice whatever it is that works for that person, whether it's taking a walk when they feel overwhelmed or breath work, like you said, it doesn't have to be one specific thing. It could work. But I, I do agree with the breath thing so much because it's, everyone thinks, well, of course I'm breathing. I'm walking around and, you know, I'm alive. So I'm breathing, but are you really breathing? Because I know that I spend a large amount of my time holding my breath without realizing it or breathing really, really shallowly, yeah. right? Breathing yep. to the chest or the top of the chest. And we actually want the diaphragm to move, right? So we, if you look at a child sleeping or look at a cat or a dog, you see the diaphragm expanding and we were concerned about like tiny tummies and so on. Forget about it. 
Let your, let your diaphragm expand. Take that breath in deeply. Let your lungs expand in all directions, front, back, sides. Mm -hmm. And think of, and practice filling that, uh, those lungs up. And a, a great way to, to actually get to a practice on this is actually just to take two minutes, two minutes, and slow down the inhale and slow down twice as fast the exhale. So count to four on the inhale, count to eight on an exhale, because the exhale is what's actually calming your nervous system. If you do that for about 10, 12 times in two minutes, you will feel differently. So try it and check in after two minutes, because that's something you can take anywhere with you and you can fit into your day. You've got a meeting coming up. You've got a difficult situation um, relationship-wise coming up. You've got a, something that's, that's challenging for you. Do it as a preparation and as a recovery afterwards. And you can, you can go through your day with a lot less tension. That's great. And everybody has two minutes. I mean, that's not a large amount of time to carve yeah. out for yourself. So that is great advice. What are productivity table stakes? Let's talk about this. This is something sure. that is, uh, that, that is something that you talk about in your work. Can you explain this to me? Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm going to sort of bring you a visual image okay. of this too, right? So productivity table stakes. Why table stakes? Table stakes because you need to understand your relationship to these eight items to, to be able to continually bring your best energy to it, right? Okay. So I'm not gonna talk about all eight in depth here, but I want, I, I'll talk about the first two. I'll give you what all eight are and then I'll talk about the first two, okay? okay. The first one is mindset. And remember I talked about reframing the stress. Yes. If there's a way to do that, and especially when we're under stress to my daily check-in is, hey Claire, how you doing? How you doing today? And if I notice I'm low, then I pull in some mindset practices to try and reframe. I want to catch it before it takes hold and then influences all the other different table stakes, right? Sleep is the next one. Sleep is super important because it is when the body is healing. So if we reframe sleep from, oh, it's my body doing nothing to actually it's the repair that I need, the daily repair that I need, then all of a sudden we are better equipped to handle everything. We, we're, we're not agitated, stressed out, impatient. I was waking up as a mom, uh, grumpy mama bear with my kids because I was shortchanging sleep for years. And when I figured it out and wait, and now I don't wake with an alarm, I wake up feeling rested and I'm able to be present in a better, more loving way for everybody in my life than when I was grumpy, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so just quickly, the, the other ones are fuel. So what you put your into every cell fuels you. If you're trying to fuel a Ferrari on Frito-Lay, there's a problem, mm -hmm. right? Okay. <laughs> if we talk about movement, we weren't designed to be sedentary beings. We were designed to move. And so you need to move every day. And we can talk a lot more about that if you're interested. Light is one that's really underspoken about. And light uh, affects our mood, our serotonin levels, um, particularly if low light uh, for most of us, there's seasonal affective disorder. If, if we have those, um, that 
if, if we're very sensitive to light, it behooves us to curate our light environment. One of the things now to watch out for is a saturation of blue and green light in the evening from screens, from lampposts, from billboards outside. We're experiencing a whole, a whole bunch of light pollution, which is affecting our ability to sleep, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, also talk about comfort. And that's this applies to caregivers in particular because... When we're moving physically in our space, we have to understand the ergonomics of what we're doing, right? The physics of what we're doing and how it relates to our body. And so if we're lifting and turning someone, we need to know how to properly do that. If we're helping someone come up from a wheelchair, we know, or get into a car, we have to understand the physics of it so that we don't create problems for ourselves while we're trying to help others, right? The last two are attention and connection and attention is around focus so back to that focus five and being able to you know avoid distractions and and be able to pay attention to what we want to pay attention to and connection so important always is we're social animals and yeah. um, sometimes we can become quite isolated due to a lot of commitments or whatever ha- was happening in the world and we really need to make sure we get our doses of really valuable I see you, you see me quality connection in our day. And so all of those eight things are really important to understand so we can show up and play our best hand. Would you suggest that someone, I mean, you and you showed me, do you, and do you have that graphic on your website that has all of those things on it? So do you think that would be a helpful thing for someone to print out and have visually in front of them? So like, okay, am I checking off all of these things today? Yeah, and, and, and the other, it, does, it will serve that way. And the, the other reason, so it's a, it's a, a potential poker table, so it works with po- um, productivity table stakes. But the other thing about the image is it's a jewel. And the jewel is multi bevels on it, which is to indicate and maybe remind you that all of these things are interconnected, right? So if I don't get enough sleep, my ability to connect is not great. If I'm not exercising, if I'm not moving well, then I'm actually may want to eat junk, (laughs) you know? So they're all quite interconnected. So that one image, uh, and you just look for productivity table stakes and you'll find it. Uh, that is an image that can help you remember what's really important. And then from there, what I want you to do is identify those little things that will make a big difference. If you if you make a small shift, it can have a huge impact on, on your life. And I call it, you kind of create an upward spiral of momentum uh, because one small change in sleep will mean all of a sudden you have the energy to get up and work out. Oh, and if you're working out, you actually feel compelled to eat better. And so it just it's just one after the other. All of a sudden, you're feeling energized in your life. You're feeling calmer. You're feeling more in control. And you can keep doing that wonderful giving that you do. Claire, you've given us incredible advice on how to um, make all of these shifts happen in our life and how to help prioritize things and be more productive and be more organized. But it all requires change. If it's Mm -hmm. something that we're not implementing already in our lives, behavioral change is something that requires focus. So you've got some ABCs of, or the ABCs of behavioral change and how to make those changes happen in our lives. So can you talk about that for us? 
Yeah, thank you. Well, after coaching hundreds of people, at, I, I started to observe where people were getting stuck. And so I thought, oh, just like the four-step plan and its chronology, there was a, a place to start and work through. The same thing happens here with the ABCs of behavior change. And again, I have a, um, a graphic that I'm going to show you through, but it's, it's basically five steps. And uh, I'll take you through the ABCs. So A is for acknowledge, okay? Acknowledge the advantages of the change you want to make. Right? So you have to get it. If you don't get it, part of you is going to be absolutely opting out. So you have to acknowledge and understand the why. Why am I, why do, why is getting enough sleep a good idea? Hmm. Why do I want to actually move my body? Why do I want to make sure I'm really knowledgeable about the way I support somebody? So understanding that is really important. Then B, and this is where I thought breakdown for a lot of people you got to believe you're worth it. Mm. B is for believe. So if you don't believe you're worth it, then you don't put your oxygen mask on first. You try and help the person because you acknowledge the advantage of, of the helping, but you don't, you don't actually make sure you can. So you've got to believe that you're worth taking care of, that, that, uh, that you're worth making the change for, and then you can keep going on this journey to change whatever it is you want to change. C is for cultivate. And cultivating is around creating that environment, that physical space that, that will help you achieve things. One, one example is Peter Shankman. Is, um, he's an incredible entrepreneur. He founded Harrow, Help a Reporter Out, and he's written a book called Faster Than Normal for people with ADHD and looking at it as a superpower, which I love. But Peter, um, and partly to, because exercising helps him focus, right? It helps everybody focus a, a little bit better, actually. But for him, it's really a lifeline to, to focus. He gets up to exercise in, in the early morning. And so part of cultivating his environment was to actually go to sleep in the clothes he was going to exercise in so that when he looked at what he was wearing, he'd be like, oh, I guess I'm going to the gym. And off he would go to the gym, right? So that's one example of what you can do. The other thing you want to cultivate is support from the people around you, in particular your home team. Because if you decide you want to eat a little more healthfully, but you're sitting on the sofa in the evening beside someone who's chowing down on haagen that's going to be tougher. So cultivating your environment and the people who support you is important. I talked about boundary setting beforehand a little bit. Um, when you decide what's important to you, you also know what to say no to, right? Yes. And so D is for defend. And what I encourage you to do is play graceful defense. And by graceful defense, I mean practicing the language that keeps you feeling like you're honoring yourself and you're also respecting those around you. So it's like not, no, it's my way or the highway. It's I've, I need to do this and I hope you understand, you know, that you're choosing something and it's not to the detriment of somebody else. I mean, it could be in their, their purview, but you've got to hold close what it is you want to change, believe you're worth it, create that environment. And then you have to have boundaries in place. So for example, you want to go to bed earlier. You've got a bedtime set for yourself. You've communicated to your home team that mom is going to bed at 10 30 now there has to be a boundary that you defend 
and it have to, you have to be clear and know what that is. And then you have to practice the words that says, I wish I could read you another story tonight, darling, but 1030 is mommy's bedtime. That's yep. it. Right. And then E is a superpower one. This is a real um, opportunity that I don't think a lot of people have thought about. And E is for engage. So engage is about that time when you accomplish the task that you want to do. I want you to tune in so hard with your mind, your body, your spirit, pause and absorb and inhale that feeling that you've got that that whole experience that's in your body and mind and say tune into what that is for you right if you're feeling like oh my gosh i you know the first five minutes of my run was terrible but after 30 minutes now i'm feeling fantastic hold on to that feeling fantastic because that is the connection to intrinsic motivation when you think about completing the task again, I want you to rewind in your mind to that moment, bring that all back, and then ask yourself, do I want to do this? You'll be much closer to saying, yes, I do, than talking yourself into staying in bed or whatever it is that you, you think you might rather do. You've got to bring back that full body experience to be able to, to, to see through. And you feel like you're getting stuck. Go back through acknowledging the advantages, believing you're worth it cultivating your context, defending with grace, and engaging in the positive feelings of accomplishing that task. Claire, you have brought an incredible wealth of insight and knowledge for our caregivers, and I'm sure they're going to want to know where they can find you. So do you mind sharing with us your website, your social handles, anything so they can track you down and ask you more questions or, or look into the programs that you offer? Oh, well, thank you for that. Um, I do welcome people to reach out with questions and generally pretty good at getting back to people. And it, it also inspires me to, to create some new content that might be helpful. So yes, you can check me out at clairekumar.com. And that's Claire with no eye. I joke, I have no third eye. So Claire, C-L-A-R-E and Kumar, like Harold and Kumar. So K-U-M-A-R, yes. ClaireKumar.com. And on social, Claire Kumar. So I cleaned that up a couple of years ago. So that's, if you just look up Claire Kumar, you should be able to find me. And like I said, I welcome people reaching out. It's always wonderful to hear from people out there. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can access more details about support services on our website, ontariocaregiver.ca. Until next time, I'm Michelle Jobin, and you have been listening to Time to Talk, a podcast for caregivers. We hope you have a wonderful day.